0: morning. Greet you in the name of Jesus this morning. It's good to be here. You know, I thank you as a church for being very hospitable to me and my family. Obviously, for Abigail, it's coming home whenever we come out here. But the more times I come out here, the more I feel like you're a part of family to me as well. But I told my wife I'm starting to have a problem because... You all know me by name, and you can say and greet me by name, and I have a hard time knowing who is talking to me. I recognize your face and so on, and I know you belong here, so forgive me if it seems I'm rude or don't know your name. I'll try to ask if I don't know, but that doesn't mean I'll remember it from time to time either. So anyways, I do appreciate the welcome feeling we always feel when we're out here. And I enjoy our time here, and I also want to thank you for your effort into Bible school the last two weeks. My kids loved it and enjoyed it very much, so I thank you for doing that. <clears throat> you know, I never uh, cease to amaze uh, how God works in just the little things. This morning I was just paying attention to uh, stuff that came through the Sunday school lesson and, and your superintendent that shared, there was a thought he had, and and then, uh, Brother Gary, your devotional had a point there that just, uh, about God testing us, and, and even the song that was just led. Uh, nobody knew what I was going to preach about, and it was something I shared back home uh, a few weeks ago, but I'm never uh, surprised anymore with how God works those things out. Just those little details that he puts together for us, we serve an amazing God, and it has nothing to do with me, it has all to do with him and who he is, and so... I'm thankful this morning for who God is. We uh, we've Back home, I just started going through the book of James. Uh, decided to take it passage by passage or verse by verse. Uh, the very first message I did was kind of just an introduction, and we kind of reviewed the first three verses a little bit. But then the second message was from the first eight verses of James chapter 1. And so I want to just share that message with you. This morning, I'm kind of looking forward to going through James myself. You know, it's a very practical book that we have in God's Word for our everyday life. There's just little things in there. Uh, Just to name a few, you think of the passage dealing with our tongues. There's the thing of judging one another, speaking evil of one another if we're not careful. Those kinds of things uh, that we we struggle with. Uh, those things, and that's why they're in there. But a lot of why it's in there is it's the things of the natural man isn't willing to do some of those things. And so as I was looking at the first eight verses, I realized it's pretty foundational to the rest of the book, the answer of how to walk in those things. You know, we ask ourselves, well, how am I going to be able to do this as a Christian? Some of these things are pretty hard that we're asked to do. Uh, You think of Jesus teaching... It never fails to amaze me on his teaching of how we as Christians are to walk. When he says, when someone smites you on the cheek, turn to him the other also. That's not uh, the normal thing for us as mankind to do. And so even in James, there's things that it's going to take more than what we as a natural man can do to live the way God wants us to. So let's just go to James, uh, the first chapter there. and We'll read the first eight verses. Says James, a servant of God and of the Lord Jesus Christ, to the twelve tribes which are scattered abroad, Greeting. My brother, and count it all joy when you fall into divers temptations, knowing this, that the trying of your faith worketh patience. But let patience have her perfect work, that ye may be perfect and entire, wanting nothing. If any of you lack wisdom, let him ask of God, that giveth to all men liberally, and upbraideth not, and it shall be given him. But let him ask in faith nothing wavering, for he that wavereth is like a wave of the sea, driven with the wind, and tossed. For let not that man think that he shall receive anything of the Lord. A double-minded man is unstable in all his ways. So many of you are familiar with the way this passage starts. James, a servant of God, the Lord Jesus Christ, to the twelve tribes which are scattered abroad. And in the introduction, I did more of a study on that, James being a leader of the church in Jerusalem, and now he's writing to those that probably were a part of his church, and then they were scattered because of the persecution. <clears throat> and as he's writing to them, he uh, tells them, he's encouraging them, he says, count it all joy when you fall into divers temptations. So they had already experienced some pretty extreme things, trials, these temptations that he's talking about. Tests that God had allowed in their lives. They have been displaced from their homes, their workplaces, their churches, and so on. So everything they knew of a comfortable everyday lifestyle had been disrupted. And they had went on to somewhere else. And you take the time of this writing now. And I'm not sure what these believers were facing. Not that they necessarily were facing trials at that particular moment. But James, it seems, he knows that when things become settled, you become into your own little comfortable area in life. We all kind of know what this is like. Living in America, we settle into our communities, our jobs, and so on. The temptation is there to kind of forget about the trials that can come. And how will we face them? But James tells them to face them with joy. Count it all joy, he says, when you fall into these Diverse temptations, different kinds of trials, and and so on. Not a temptation of evil from Satan so much, but a trial that God allows in our life. You know, something that I believe, whenever there's persecution of the church, when a man understands that uh, anything he says for Christ could end his life, or he could be punished, or... Tortured, whatever it is, he tends to draw closer to God when there's a hard thing in life of that nature. However, when we have a time of peace and freedom to worship God at our own will, we can kind of tend to become slack. And we don't take our Christian life as serious as we should maybe sometimes. And so I believe for us living in America, that is more of a temptation probably. We don't face the persecution That other countries have in the past, or maybe that our forefathers were under as well. But it's not uncommon for tests and trials to come, and so then how will we face those things that come to us? But he tells us to count it all joy when you fall into those temptations, those trials. And we should take that trial and turn it into something that glorifies God instead of the opposite. Sometimes we become bitter. We become discouraged. We allow ourselves to have self-pity for us. Why do I have to go through this? That can be the thing that we end up going to in the natural man. But you know, Jesus said something about what's in the heart will come out. And so what will be the difference of a person that counts it all joy and someone that does not count it all joy when he falls into those temptations? You know, our friends are probably the ones that see what's in our hearts. Maybe thoughts of anger and self-pity. But if we take it with joy, what are the things that are going to come out? Maybe words of praise to God, regardless of the trial I'm going through. Words of confident trust in the Lord. They'll be able to see where we gain our strength to walk through those difficult times. And <clears throat> that doesn't mean that the physical emotions are always going to be gone. There's going to be shedding of tears at times. There's going to be weeping and so on. We're told to weep with those that weep. That doesn't mean that all emotions disappear just because you're counting it all joy. But it's an emotion that comes from the heart of trust and confidence in God no matter what the trial is that's coming your way. But James didn't just stop there with counting it all joy when these tests come, but he continues telling us that we should know something about these trials, the tests that come your way. There's things that it does. It says that the trying of your faith, it worketh patience. There's a purpose for God allowing trials, allowing tests and temptation to come into my life, into your life. And so what is this working that is going to happen? It says it brings about patience. Now, we all know that patience can be a hard thing, and a lot of times we say you better be careful if you pray for patience, because you'll be tested in that area. And I think of having to sit and wait on someone, just as an example of patience. And when I was in Haiti, and someone would need to go to the hospital, a lot of times they wish I'd stay there and wait on them so they'd go back home, and that could turn into an all-day ordeal, so I didn't always do that. Probably more didn't than did, but occasionally I would wait. And that was one of the hardest things for me to do. You may not know me as well as my wife probably does, obviously. And those that know me, I'm kind of a person that likes to get things done. I don't like to sit around. And so sitting and waiting on people was definitely a, a struggle for me. But when I think of patience without complaining, sitting and waiting without complaining, being kind in my response even when I have to wait, being gentle to those I'm waiting on. But in this context that James is dealing with here, I don't know that that definition of patience holds up to the meaning here. This verse would then be saying these tests and trials make you a patient person that you can just sit around and wait on people real nice. They make it easy for you that way. But The Greek word here means cheerful endurance, constancy. As you think about the trying of your faith, bringing about a positive thing in your Christian life, I think this word endurance maybe gives us some light on this. To undergo without giving in. Think about that for a moment. Take into considering the thought of having to endure being tortured for Christ or facing death. What about being tied to a stake? If you were not strong enough in your faith, would you be able to endure to the end? So the trying of your faith is that which is making you so you're strong to endure when faced with a difficult trial. And the more tests that you go through, that God gives to you, if you count them all joy and you get through those tests, the stronger you become in your walk with God. You remember the story of the seed falling on the stony ground. Jesus likened this to those who hear and they receive the word and they endure for a while until the tribulation comes. Or till a persecution arises and then it says they are choked out. <clears throat> this is the kind of endurance that James here is talking about. When we as Christians go through things that we can endure through the end, that we don't become choked out. But that these different trials of life, when we take them with joy, they can be something that builds us. helps us to become mature in our faith. And rather than turning against God and judging Him as unfair or the fault of the circumstance or the trial, or that He doesn't love me, rather this endurance will cause us to turn to God in those trials. So these tests are for the Christian's good. It's for our good. We need to allow God to work in our lives and so we can have a great confidence in Him. Trust in God that's going to enable me to stand whenever a trial comes. I don't know if any of you have read stories from the Martyr Mirror, but I just recently received that book from someone and I was reading some of these stories. And these people never went to their death trying to say words to get out of dying. Now maybe there was some, obviously I didn't read the whole book. But they always had the faith to go on. The faith to keep going straight to the death. No matter what they were offered to recant, they held on. They had endurance to the end. And I think it's that kind of endurance that a person's faith must have when we as a believer in Christ, when we walk with Him, that's what He wants us. That's what these trials are for, to help us to have an enduring faith. But he goes on into verse 4 there, and he says, Let this steadfast endurance, this patience, have its perfect work. These trials will bring about more than just the ability to remain steadfast. By enduring with joy, it will make you to be perfect and entire, wanting nothing. Does this word perfect mean you'll become a totally sinless man and never make a mistake again? Let's think in the context of the subject here. We have a Christian, and he has a goal, and that is to become more mature, to grow, to become stronger. Remember Paul saying that he speaks as unto babes, desiring the true milk of the Word. You know, we all start somewhere in our Christian life. We don't become mature the second we become a believer in Christ, and our walk has to mature. We have to grow in Christ. So these trials, they bring us into a more perfect state of being Christian, being a Christian. Perfect meaning in the original here is perfection towards a given end. You think of a plant in your garden. You plant the potatoes and they grow and they look nice. But they're not to their perfect state when they're first just green and growing. You have to wait to harvest that potato. <clears throat> in the same way. We're not going to reach the perfect end of our Christian life until we reach the end when God calls us home. We're constantly growing as Christians and that's what these trials are for. Along with that word, perfect is the word entire, which means to be complete in every part. So it is our Christian life is always growing and we need to be completely dedicated to Christ in every area. And that's the result of the Christian who takes the trials that God allows in your life. He accepts them with joy in his heart. That Christian's going to grow spiritually. They're going to become a complete Christian, or we could say a sound, established Christian. They'll become someone who is totally unmovable. Then you look at the last phrase of verse 4 there, and he says, wanting nothing. What kind of lack will the Christian have in his life? To be wanting is to be actively pursuing something to bring you satisfaction. But this says wanting nothing. In other words, the Christian, by placing his confidence in God, he is growing spiritually, and the result is he's satisfied with wherever God has placed him. Whatever God brings into your life, whatever trial you're in, or whatever time of peace you're in, When God takes you out of that time of peace as a steadfast Christian, you'll remain steadfast and satisfied in the position, wanting nothing. Even if it means facing death, can I say, I want nothing more than to meet my Maker? As I was thinking about this thing of trials, and I don't want to make it sound like we don't have trials and tests in America, but. Those little trials sort of tend to pale in comparison when we think about being persecuted for our faith as far as being tortured or facing certain death or maybe taken away from your family and put in a prison cell all by yourself. Those sort of things would be a more serious testing of my faith in God. It would cause me to cry out to God maybe in a different way than what I do. But I say that to bring out the tests and trials that we face, we can so easily look at, or I can, at my small trials, those small tests, as something difficult, and maybe become angry, dissatisfied, murmur at God for allowing it, complain about, uh, I had my notes here, the wind. You guys don't have as much wind probably as we do in Nebraska. My wife states comments about the wind, but I always tell her, well, at least we can enjoy the calmness then when it comes. And maybe out here in Indiana you enjoy the calmness too, but you don't think about it probably quite as much as we do back home when we get a calm spell. It's very nice sitting in the evening without having a picnic where your food hits the next guy in the face. So there's a little complaining that can happen in Nebraska about the wind, so that's why I had that. But maybe we complain about our job or complain about someone speaking harshly to me. Mad at the timing of the fast food restaurant. Or the boss never gets things done right or in a timely manner. And I can take those little things and they can become quite the test or trial in my life if I'm not careful. And so my point is, what is my attitude in the small things? Have they caused me to grow in my spiritual life? Or do I still respond in the same way every time those small things come up? Do I forget to be counted all joy? And God keeps waiting on me to respond correctly. And then I wonder, how will I respond to the bigger tests if I struggle with the little tests? If I can't respond in joy in the little things, how am I going to respond when big trials come? You know, every one of us faces these day-to-day things that can test us. And in the midst of them, they maybe feel a little unbearable, feel like we're not going to be able to get through those things. But you know, there's an, ama- an answer in Scripture for us as to these things. And that's the amazing thing about our God and His Word is that it's full of answers to our problems in life. It may not be spelled out specifically for your specific trial with 10 tips to get out of this trial and to make it through. But there's something that we've been given in God's Word here. <clears throat> we go to verse 5. He says, if any of you lack wisdom, let him ask of God. How many of you are willing to admit that you lack wisdom? Is lacking wisdom a negative thing? Does lacking wisdom mean that I am spiritually immature? And can you ever attain so much wisdom that you no longer need wisdom? You know, you can go to college all your life if you want and And you can gain all the knowledge of a lot of things in the world, but I'm guessing even if you did it all your life, you still wouldn't know everything about everything in the world. But this wisdom is totally different. This is not the wisdom of the world that we're talking of here. What does it take to admit to God that you're lacking wisdom? Does humility play a role in this? When a test or trial comes my way, Where do I go to try and solve this test? I had to think of us as men in general. We've been created to be problem solvers and achievers and so on. To be leaders, to accomplish things. That's kind of God's given gift to us as a man. He expects us to lead and so on. But we tend to think we can fix any problem when it comes our way. And we also know it's hard for us as men to stop and ask for directions. Maybe that's a thing of pride. <clears throat> but you know, God, He's put it in our care to do those things, to lead and so on. But He wants to be a part of that leading and He's that He installed within us. <clears throat> so when it comes to these tests, is it better to try and solve it ourselves... Or should we acknowledge that we are lacking wisdom and seek it from the hand of God? You know, I believe most of the struggles, the trials that come our way, that become too hard for us to solve, and they never turn out very good for us in the end, they end up being my own faults. Because of my pride getting in the way, and to admit that I need wisdom, it takes humility. On my part. Being willing to ask God to give me wisdom. And why wouldn't I desire to seek God's wisdom? What does he say there? God giveth wisdom to all men liberally. He doesn't withhold it from them. His wisdom... When his children come seeking it, he doesn't withhold it. He gives it liberally. And then it says, he upbraideth not. And that word uh, in the Greek, it means to defame, to rail at, chide, or taunt. In other words, God doesn't laugh at you when you come asking for wisdom and say, See, I told you, you weren't smart enough. No, he doesn't chide you. He doesn't rail upon you for asking or make you feel as if you're not important. Just because you asked for his wisdom. In fact, I believe God is allowing these trials. He's waiting for you to come to Him in humility and ask for His wisdom to guide you through this test. And what does it say happens when we ask for this wisdom? Well, it might be given to you if God feels like it at the time. No, it says He shall be given. What a promise. Why do I struggle on how to move forward in the difficult things that come my way in life as a Christian? And I think Christians, we should be the most decisive people that move forward without doubting or asking if we should or shouldn't do something. He says right here, if you lack wisdom, all you have to do is ask God who gives it freely and will give it to you. So someone comes to you and asks you to go on to a mission field. How long does it take to find the answer? Well, I talked with my boss and I talked with my mom and dad, and I talked with my parents, I discussed it with all of my friends and so on. And I got a lot of different answers, and I'm almost more confused than I was. Did you ask God? I shouldn't be so quick to seek out the answers for the things that come my way, whether it's new responsibilities, new positions in life that God is bringing my way. Am I seeking God's wisdom whenever something comes knocking on my door? Face it first off by asking God for wisdom. I'm not saying that your parents or your siblings or your friends don't have good advice. I'm not saying you can't go to them. But I'm asking myself, why do I go to everybody else when I have God? And His wisdom that He's freely giving out. Acknowledge I don't want this to be my wisdom that leads me. I want it to be God's wisdom that I operate out of. His wisdom is far greater. And besides, God knows the end of the trial before He ever gives it to me. So why wouldn't I want to ask Him for wisdom?
1: <clears throat>
0: and then in verse 6, it says, Let him ask in faith nothing wavering. When you come to God to ask for his wisdom We are to come in complete confidence and trust Not to have any bit of wavering Why would we waver? We just looked at some things that should give us complete confidence in asking And God is a lover of giving to his children The wisdom he has, it's the greatest, it's always capable of guiding you Why then would I be wavering? And this word waver has a couple different definitions. To separate thoroughly has the idea of judging something. You take a circumstance and you find all the negative things and you set them on one side, and you find all the positive things and you set it on the other. You're separating it thoroughly, wavering. Another part is that it means to withdraw from or oppose. Or it means to discriminate or hesitate. These definitions explain to us what is happening when a man is wavering. When I come to God and I ask Him for wisdom and He gives me an answer, what do I do with that answer? Do I take and tear it all down and find all the negatives and all the positives and try to judge if it is a good thing or a bad thing for me? Or do I oppose what God has given me for an answer and I go back and I I don't like that answer? Give me a different one. Or do I hesitate when God answers? Why should I waver when it comes to asking God for his wisdom? If it's the greatest wisdom and given out of desire by God, then why can't I completely trust him? Does this mean I'll always get the answer that I want? No. Maybe that's part of what causes the wavering. We aren't trusting God's decision. When I'm wavering, I'm still trying to be in control of the circumstance and the trial. He gives us a good analogy of what wavering looks like. He says, he that wavereth is like a wave of the sea driven with the wind and tossed. Have you ever been to the ocean and the beach and something comes floating in? You try to get it and all of a sudden it's going back out. And you wait for it to come in again and then it goes back out. It's just all over the place. That's what wavering is like. a man that wavers, he's back and forth. It's like saying, I trust in God, but he has his limits where I let him go in my life. I believe he has the greatest wisdom, but I feel good about my ability to decide, my wisdom as well. I trust him to take care of me, but I also have a good stash of money in the bank to face the elements that are coming. I know God is capable of miracles, but I have some amazing abilities as well. You see, nothing wavering takes me out of the picture and says, God, I lack wisdom, and I want yours, and I totally trust in you, and I'm willing to accept your guidance. It takes humility. And then he tells us in verse 7 that the man who is wavering, he's asking of the Lord, he should not think that he'll receive anything of the Lord. God can't answer a man or give his wisdom to him when we're wavering, when we can't decide. The man that's not willing to place complete confidence in God isn't going to be accepting God's wisdom and guidance. And you look at the thought in verse 8, that a double-minded man is unstable in all his ways. What is double-mindedness? We kind of already looked, it kind of compares to wavering. But it means two-spirited, not being able to take a stand one way or the other. The one is saying, I trust in God. and The other is saying, I need to be in control. Two-minded. <clears throat> I believe it's easy for us as Christians sometimes to look at this idea of being a double-minded man and thinking that I don't have that struggle. <clears throat> but as you think about it, it's two different Spirits. That are struggling there. It's the old man wanting to be in control. And the new man having to put the old man to death. And when we become a believer that must be what happens. As we put the old man to death. But that doesn't just happen once. That struggle is still going to be there in my life. I have to become a new creature. And I have to allow God to lead me every day. We can't be wavering. Back and forth between the old man and the new man. Saying, I trust in God. And then the old man saying, I have abilities and wisdom as well. And he tells us this man is unstable in all his ways. Unstable, always changing, never taking a stand. Do you think that type of a man could stand in types of trials and tests that come his way? Let's go back to verse 3. It says, Knowing this, that the trying of your faith worketh patience. Or we could say that the trying of your faith worketh endurance. Or we could say that the trying of your faith worketh towards making you stable. Do we see the total contrast between the stable and the unstable? When we face the test with the joy of the Lord in our heart, and we accept whatever it is that God has for us, in complete confidence in His wisdom, That it's the greatest and I can humbly acknowledge that I lack wisdom. Totally in confidence we can know that God will give us wisdom if we ask for it. God is going to give me his wisdom because he said he would if I ask for it. I can completely trust whatever guidance it is he lays out before me for that specific trial, that specific test. I don't have to judge that wisdom and try to tear it apart and decide if his answer is good or not. There's no reason for me to waver when it comes to seeking God's wisdom. It doesn't need to be tested, it doesn't need to be held to man's wisdom. There is no other wisdom that God's wisdom can be compared to. Am I willing to trust in his wisdom? Is God's wisdom the answer to how to apply all these practical things in the book of James? All the ways that we walk in life, every area, when we struggle, what we talk about this morning, our marriages, the responsibilities of husbands and wives. And sometimes we have those battles within our relationships. And so you think of that, how are you going to walk through those? Are you going to go seeking out every book and every man that's ever dealt with this and every counselor? Or are you willing to go to God and ask for wisdom? His wisdom is what I need in my life every day, no matter what I face. And if I can do it with joy, no matter what trial comes, humble myself, ask for his wisdom, he's going to be there to guide us. So I encourage you, continue seeking God's wisdom. Live a life that's pleasing to him by having him a part of your life, of your daily decisions. Don't give up, but continue looking to God as the ultimate guide for your life. May the Lord bless you.